Let's open our Bibles together this morning to the book of Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 today. Luke chapter 15. I'd like to look together at a very familiar parable that the Lord Jesus Christ told. But perhaps to look at it from an aspect that is not as common. Because we're going to be looking at the story of the prodigal son. But we're not going to be focusing on the prodigal son as much as we are his older brother. Luke chapter 15. Look with me at verse 25. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come. And thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out, and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends." But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead, and is alive again, and was lost, and is found. The title of the message today is The Sins of the Elder Son. Heavenly Father, as we examine this story that our Savior told to help us understand the importance of winning the lost and how we should respond when the lost are found, may the Holy Spirit open our eyes and teach us what we need to know and make us into what we need to be. That we would follow the example of your only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. As we think about the story of the prodigal son, most of us are very familiar with the prodigal's part in the story. As Jesus told this parable, he said that there was a man who had two sons, and one day the younger of the two came to his father and demanded his inheritance early. I'm sure that the father was brokenhearted at that request because it amounted to the son saying, Dad, I wish you were dead already. The father gave the younger son his portion of the inheritance, and not very long after that he left. He left the farm, he left the family, he left his father, and he went out into the world. And the Bible says that he spent some time wasting all of his money on wicked living. And in fact, the name prodigal means wasteful. 
to waste what you've been given. And that's what he did. He went and he just partied it up. He lived a worldly lifestyle. Uh, he was uh, involved in all kinds of wickedness. And after some period of time, a famine came to the land. The economic boom went away. And now they were in the time of recession or depression. And agriculturally, there was not enough rain. And so there wasn't enough food. And so now everybody was having a hard time. And this prodigal son found himself without anybody to help take care of him. Those people who he thought were his friends only wanted him for his money. And so he has to try and scrape together a living somehow. And he, he finally finds work feeding pigs. And he's so hungry and he's so destitute that he, would, he, he wished that he could eat the pig slop. He was that hungry. And finally, there in that pigsty, the Bible says that he came to himself. And he had a little bit of a self-talk there. He said, you know what? There, there, there are servants in my father's house that have more food to eat than I do right now. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to rise up out of this pigsty. I'm going to go back home and I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against you and I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And he made, was, made up his mind that he was going to go back home. Well, the Bible tells us that as he's nearing the home, the father sees him and the father runs to meet him. And before the prodigal son could even give his prepared speech, the father just showers him with love and affection and calls for the servants to come and prepare a feast and let's have a celebration, let's have a party. Our, my son was lost and now he's found. He was wayward and now he has come home. And so they come to the house and, and uh, they're having this big celebration and there's this big party, but somebody's missing. The elder son, the big brother. Where was he at? Well, the Bible tells us that he was out in the field working. And he comes home and he hears all of this going on. He calls the servants out and finds out what in the world is happening. They tell him that uh, your brother has come home and your father's killed the fat fatted calf and, and there's this big celebration and verse 28 tells us that and he that is the elder son was angry he was angry and the story concludes with this exchange between the father and the elder son the elder son who never left home the elder son who was hard working who obeyed his father's instructions he had all of these admirable traits, but there was something wrong in his heart. He was proud. He was bitter. And he was envious. And he proved it by refusing to join in celebrating his brother's return. And as we look at this story, it not only illustrates how much joy we should we should have in, in seeing a lost person saved or seeing a, a backslidden Christian get right with God, but it also teaches us how we should react when we see that happen. Not only should we be joyful, but we should be humble. And how we react when the lost are found reveals what is truly in our hearts. If we're unmoved by a sinner's profession of faith in Christ, or we're cynical about a backslidden Christian getting right with God, then we are acting like the prodigal's big brother. And yet that happens time and time again where someone will respond to the Holy Spirit's working in their life, either by getting saved or a Christian getting right with God. And some older, supposedly more mature Christian has a cynical attitude. Yeah, we'll see. I've heard that before. 
kind of a spirit. And rather than rejoicing, they're prideful. We must confess our pride, our bitterness, our envy if we're guilty of being like the elder son. And we must rejoice with the father when a prodigal returns. As we look at this story, I want to start by giving the elder son credit for what he did right. I don't want to just drag him through the mud today unnecessarily. Because there are some things showed to us in this parable that Jesus specifically said that this son did right. Did you notice these? First of all, did did it catch you that he was still at home? He was still there. It was the younger brother who had gone out and he had gone into the world. He had abandoned his father and his family and the farm. He had had, uh, just, you know... uh, not fulfilled his responsibilities, but the older son, he just stayed put. Now, we could look at that one of two ways. We could look at that as just kind of a, well, that's what he's supposed to do. Or we could recognize that that is a very admirable trait for someone to stick to it and to be faithful. Especially if you think about it, that means essentially when his brother left, his workload probably doubled. It made it much harder for him. He could have said, you know what, I don't need all this. I can go do my own thing. And he could have left too, but he didn't do that. He was still at home. Another thing I see that he did right is he was out in the field working. Why wasn't he there when his brother came home and the party started? Was he out in town partying? Was he off on a trip vacationing? No, he was in the field working. That was where he was supposed to be. That's what he was supposed to be doing. I say good for him. He was doing the right thing. And that leads into really this this third point. What did he do right? He dutifully, he faithfully did his job. Jesus didn't give us an exact timeline here, but it's obviously enough time for the, the younger son to have wasted all his money and for this famine to come up and to lead to such destitution. And the whole time that his brother was out doing all of that, this elder son was just faithfully, dutifully doing his job. And I think we ought to give him credit for that. I think we ought to say he did what was right. And I think the Lord... For those Christians who are following the example of the older son, they have not gone off into the world. They're faithfully in their place. They haven't left the fold. They dutifully do their job. You can count on them to be where they say they're going to be and do what they say they're going to do. They're dependable and praise the Lord for that. I'm so thankful that the the Lord has filled our church with those kinds of people. People who are faithful, who haven't left. The sin of the elder son was not a sin of laziness. You couldn't indict him for that. You couldn't say that he was a shirker, that he was unfaithful to do his job. His sin was not the sin of abandonment. No, he got a lot of things right. But there was a problem underneath it all. And here's the point. The elder son had everything right on the outside. To look at him, you'd say, that's the kind of son that we ought to be. But there was something in his heart that was terribly wrong. And we can summarize it with one simple word, pride. 
At its core, his sin was the sin of pride. He somehow came to think that he was such a good son that he deserved special treatment and his brother did not. We need to make sure that we have a correct mindset about doing what is right. Why do you do what is right? It is possible to do the right thing for the wrong reason. When it comes to doing right and doing what God has told us to do, we can either do it for the right reason, which is simply because God expects it and it glorifies Him, or we can do it for selfish reasons. We can do it because it benefits us. We can do it because we don't have to deal with as much bad consequences when we do that. We can do it because other people might see it and might praise us. It is possible to do the right thing for the wrong reason. And if you're doing the right thing for the wrong reason, one of the ways that you can tell that is you get upset when you're not recognized for it. If you get angry and upset or it, it bothers you to hear someone else praised for doing something good, that ought to be a warning sign to you. That shouldn't bother us. The only reason it would bother us for someone else to be praised or for someone else to get special treatment is if we think we deserve it instead. That's pride. That's selfishness. That's what the Pharisees were guilty of when they did their works to be seen of men. They wanted to be praised by men, and Jesus said they have their reward. The elder son did the right things, but he didn't do it for the right reason. Do you understand that doing what is right is simply our reasonable service? That's what Romans 12.1 says. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Something that is reasonable means it just makes sense. After all that God has done for you and me, if you're a Christian this morning, God has saved your soul. He has made you one of His children. He's given you a home in heaven for all of eternity. He's delivered you from death and hell. And all that God has blessed you with, it only makes sense that you serve God. And yet we somehow think that if we choose to serve God, that we're someone special. That we're doing God a great service. And everybody ought to laud us and ought to praise us for that. We don't deserve special celebration for doing something that is our duty to do. Luke 17.10 says, So likewise, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which is our duty to do. Have you ever stopped and thought about what Jesus said there? He said, when you've done everything, everything that's been commanded of you, when you get done doing all of that, stop and say this, I'm an unprofitable servant. Unprofitable, not beneficial, worthless. I'm an unprofitable servant. I've done that which is my duty to do. That is completely against the way we naturally think. We naturally think, I did what I'm supposed to do, therefore, 
I deserve special treatment. I'm someone special. I'm worth a lot more to God than somebody else who's not doing what they ought to do. In other words, Jesus was saying that obedience is simply what is expected of us. That's not something special. Let me try to illustrate it to you this way using just a practical example or two. You might have tools that you keep around the house for various projects. Maybe you have a cordless drill. When you go to get that cordless drill, maybe you keep it in the garage with a battery on the charger or whatever, you go get it and uh, you, you, you take it out, you put the battery in it, and you go do what you need to do with this drill, whatever it is. When you're done doing the job, do you step back and say, man, that is a beautiful drill. I love this drill. This is just such a wonderful drill. This is amazing drill. Do you, do you take pictures of it and put it up on social media and say, I want everybody to see my drill here. Isn't it just a wonderful drill? Because it drilled a hole. That would be a little silly, wouldn't it? No, you picked up the drill and you drilled a hole and you were satisfied because the drill did what it was supposed to do. You didn't give it any extra praise. You're probably a little bit grateful for it. You didn't have to sit there by hand and drill the hole. But you didn't give it any special celebration. You didn't throw a, hey, my drill is working party, did you? No, because that's just what it's supposed to do. Now, the only time you get a little bit excited about the tool is when it's not working. <laughs> you expect it to work. What about your refrigerator? Uh, probably, until I just mentioned it, none of you had even thought about whether or not your fridge was working. Unless you've recently had problems with it and you've been dealing with it. But everybody in here this morning probably woke up and just expected they were going to go open their fridge and the milk for their cereal was going to be cold. Okay, you, you didn't pull out that jug of milk and think, oh, wow, what a wonderful, amazing, special refrigerator. It kept my milk cold. No, that's what you expect it to do. That's its job. That's its purpose. And do you understand this morning that the truth is we are instruments in God's hands created with a purpose, created with a job to do, and if we do that job willingly and faithfully, that means that we've simply done our duty. It doesn't mean that we deserve extra special praise for just doing what is expected of us. I know this is a hard pill to swallow because we feel like I've been faithful for 25 years. Somebody ought to say something to me. And we'll talk about that in a minute. I do believe honor to whom honor is due. But we're not talking about other people's attitude towards you right now. We're talking about your attitude and your service. You don't throw your refrigerator a it's been working 25 years party, probably. Although nowadays, if you have a fridge that's more than 25 years old, that is something pretty special. So why do we expect special treatment, special praise for simply doing what is our duty to do? But somehow this older son had gotten to the point I don't know. In this story that Jesus told, this was a parable. It was a true-to-life story, if not a true story. So we can't really, you know, 
We're not given enough details here to delve into what was his thinking and what led him to this point. But does it really matter? Because the fact of the matter is that he did not think his brother deserved such treatment. And he was upset because he did not receive such treatment. So let's talk about what he did wrong. I've already stated that his sin at its core was a sin of pride. But that pride was manifested in several different ways. We see this in the story before us. First of all, what did he do, what did he do wrong? Well, he was angry. He was angry. What was the first response when the servants told him what was going on? The Bible says he was angry. That's what Jesus said. He, didn't, he wasn't glad, he wasn't happy, he wasn't rejoicing. He was mad. When he found out his brother had returned and everybody was celebrating, that was his immediate response. He wasn't happy to have his brother back. He was mad because his brother was getting special treatment and he wasn't. He thought he deserved what his brother was getting and because he wasn't getting what he thought he deserved, he was angry. A proud person thinks they deserve to be treated in a certain way and when they aren't treated that way, they get angry at the people who aren't giving them the kind of attention that they want. Turn to the book of James with me really quickly. James chapter 3. I mean, his anger here was obviously rooted in this this prideful attitude of, why does he get a party? I've never gotten a party. He thought that he deserved better treatment. James chapter 3, verse 14. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. That describes the elder son's heart perfectly. Why couldn't he go celebrate with the family and with the household servants? Why couldn't he just be at least a little bit happy? He got angry because he felt like he deserved what his brother was getting and his brother did not deserve it. But then there's a second sin that's a manifestation of his pride, and that is this, he was stubborn. The Bible says not only was he angry, but then the next thing it says is he would not go in. No, I'm not going to the house. I'm not going in there where they're partying and celebrating. He chose to exclude himself from the celebration. He chose to keep himself removed from the group, from the family unit, from the household. Why? because he didn't want to partake in the celebration of his brother. He refused to even associate with the celebration of his brother. He wasn't even going to grace them with his presence. His attitude of stubborn pride was, if they want to see me, they're going to have to come out where I am. I'm not going in there. For the father to speak to him, we see that the father had to go out. He had to leave the younger son and all of the celebration had to go out 
to where the elder son was sulking and pouting in order to speak to him. That was selfish and stubborn. Pride makes you stubborn and unreasonable. Proverbs 26.12 says, Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than of him. That's what pride does. Pride makes you think that you're right. And everybody needs to come to where you are. You're not budging. There's a great Bible word that describes this attitude. It's the word stiff-necked. Stiff-necked. That doesn't mean you need to go see the chiropractor. The word stiff-necked was originally used to describe a, a farm animal like an ox that refused to be directed by the farmer's ox goat. So the farmer would put the team in harness and then to get them going, he would use that ox goat to poke them and give them a little encouragement. Well, sometimes farm animals aren't all that cooperative and you get one stubborn animal that doesn't want to go and instead of turning its neck the direction the farmer wants it to go, it refuses to turn. No, I'm going to go here or I'm not going to go at all. I'm just stiff-necked is the idea. A stiff-necked person refuses to turn to take a different path. They've determined, no, this is right. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I think is best. You can't tell me otherwise. And that's the kind of attitude that the elder son demonstrated when he would not go in. No, I'm staying right here. If dad wants to talk to me, he's going to have to come out here. I'm not going in there. He was angry. He was stubborn. But number three, he was arrogant. And I, I make a simple distinction here, being pride being the, the attitude of the heart and the arrogancy being the action and the words that came out as a result of it. But did you notice back in the book of Luke when the brother spoke up how... How highly he thought of himself. He said, I have served you all of these years. I have not transgressed. What was his conversation all about? It was all about how good he was and how bad his brother was. The father comes out and, and it's interesting, the Bible says entreats him. I, I love the, the, the father that's pictured in this story is of course a, a picture or an, an example of our Heavenly Father. And I love that it, it, how it says, how Jesus said, the Father came out and entreated the older son. He didn't come out and berate him. He didn't come out and scold him. He came out and entreated him. He came to him calmly and reasonably, son, let's talk about this. Why don't you come in? Your brother's been gone a long time. He made a lot of mistakes, but he's home. And this is a cause for celebration. Why don't you come join us? That was the attitude of the father. But in response, the elder son proceeded to list his resume and give all the reasons why his father was wrong for celebrating the prodigal's return instead of celebrating him. That's what it amounted to. What it amounted to was the elder son telling his father, you have no business celebrating my brother. You should be celebrating me instead. His speech was full of arrogance and self-glorification. 
He sounds a lot like the Pharisee that Jesus described in Luke chapter 18, who prayed uh, thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not like other men are, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even as this publican, I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. That's the attitude the elder son had. I'm great, he's bad, you should celebrate me. He wanted to point out his achievements and he wanted to emphasize his brother's failures. Notice what he brought up. He said, thy, thy son which hath devoured thy living with harlots. His speech was intended to make him look the best and his brother look the worse. Can we draw any other conclusion than that? But see, to this, this brother, he thought he was better. Was he the better son? I mean, let's be honest for a second. We are tempted to say, yeah, he's, he's the better son. He stayed. He didn't leave. He's been there faithfully. And he wasn't at the party to begin with because he was out in the field where he should be working. Yeah. I mean, if you had to pick two children to, or, your, or for your children to behave one way or the other, I should say, which one are you going to pick? You want your child to act like the elder son and being faithful or back like the prodigal son and going and wasting their life? You'd say, no, I'd, I'd rather those first characteristics of the elder son. So we would say, yeah, he's better. But should that have made him more valuable to his father? No. Just because his behavior was right and his brother's behavior was wrong, that doesn't mean that the father should love the elder son more and the younger son less. A father should love his children equally. God's kind of love is not performance-based. We don't love people based on how good they are, love them more, and if they're bad, love them less. A father should not love his children who are in, in, in obedience more than he loves his children who are living in disobedience. He should love them equally. But at this moment, it seemed, and here's the rub, okay? It seemed like to the elder son that the father loved the younger son more. I mean, wouldn't you agree with that? Because it looks like right now, because all of this going on, the celebration, the slaying, the fatted calf, and all of this stuff is being given to the younger son, the appearance is, the perception might be, that the father loves the younger son, the prodigal son, more than the elder son. But the truth is that the father loved the elder son just as much. But at this point in time, it was fitting, it was appropriate, it was suitable to have a celebration for the younger son in these circumstances. It was not a matter of love. It was not a matter of worth. The father loved his sons equally. In fact, notice what the father said. He said to his son, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. Some have speculated that what Jesus meant by that was that perhaps when they divided the inheritance, that the father went ahead and gave the elder son his full portion too. But at any rate, the son was there and he got to enjoy fellowship with the father day in and day out. It was not a matter of love. It was not a matter of worth for the father. You see, it was the elder son who had the problem with that perspective. He felt like he was worth more and he deserved special treatment and his brother did not. 
And here's the principle. Our view of self will determine our view of others. If we have an inflated view of ourself, we will have a low view of others. And that's exactly the opposite of how a Christian should think. We should have a humble view of ourselves and a high view of others. Philippians 2 verse 3, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. That's the mind of Christ that verse 5 says we ought to let be in us. To have a humble view of self and a high view of others. The elder son got it backwards. He had a high view of self and a low view of his brother. Number four, not only was he arrogant, as we just saw, but number four, he was jealous. He was jealous. The elder son's pride was displayed in the jealousy and the envy that he expressed. Again, we go back to his words in Luke 15. He said to the father, Yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But the the prodigal comes home and, and you've slayed the fatted calf. You've never so much as given me a baby goat so I might have a party with a few of my buddies. And here you're having the whole house stop everything that they're doing. The whole operation is shut down so that we can come in and we can enjoy the fatted calf because of my brothers come home. You hear the jealousy in that? You've never even given me this, but you've given him that. Envy does ugly things to a person's heart. When you're envious, you view people as obstacles to your happiness. And what the elder son saw right here was that his brother stood in the way of his happiness. His brother came home. Now everybody's giving their attention and their uh, celebration to him instead of to the older son. He was envious. Envy views people as a means to get things, not things as a means to serve people. Envy stems from a lack of contentment and an entitlement mentality. The father's rebuke is very revealing here. He says, all that I have is thine. His contention to his father was, you've never even given me a kid, a baby goat. And the father's response is, that's because everything I have is already yours. But do you see what's going on here? Rather than focusing on everything that he gets to enjoy, the elder son is fixated on the one fatted calf that he didn't get to enjoy. Yeah, but I didn't get that. What about all of this over here? We're not talking about all that. I'm talking about this little thing right here. You see the warped perspective? He was envious. He had more than enough to be content. He didn't need that fatted calf. And if he wanted one, he could have gone and gotten one for himself and he could have done whatever he wanted to. If he wanted to throw a party for his buddies, I'm sure the father would have said, okay, have a party with your buddies, that's fine. But see, his brother had one thing he did not that night and it drove him crazy. He had more than enough to be content. What he lacked was gratitude. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. 
It was right for this prodigal son to receive extra attention that night. It was right. And that's what the father said. It was meat. It was suitable. It was the right thing to do. When a person is newly saved or when a backslidden Christian uh, gets right with God, it's good and right that they receive extra care and attention and celebration because they're at a very vulnerable time. They need a level of help and encouragement that a healthy, mature Christian should not need. We talk about people being babes in Christ. We understand that an infant needs a lot of extra attention, but they grow out of it. For a time, that's good, that's right, that's necessary. But there ought to come a point when a person's mature, they don't need that. The same thing is true spiritually. A mature Christian should not need a celebration every time they show up at church. (laughs) We ought to be happy to see one another. We ought to be joyful. We ought to be encouraging to one another. But they should not need the same level of celebration and encouragement and help and assistance and care as a person who's say brand, brand new Christian, just saved, or a Christian who has been away from the Lord and come, just come back recently. An interesting thing happens in some families. When a new baby is born, if there are older siblings, sometimes those older siblings struggle with jealousy. Especially if they're maybe not that much older, maybe... You know, the baby's born and there's a four-year-old or a five-year-old sibling. That can be really hard for them. In their little mind, they're thinking, why is this loud, stinky little human getting so much more attention and I'm getting so much less? It doesn't make sense to them. And so they struggle with this, with this sibling je- jealousy, kind of the seeds of a sibling rivalry, you might say. Now, we can't blame a three-year-old for thinking that. That's hard for a three-year-old to process. They're just going to have to learn. They're just going to have to grow through it. God will give wisdom to the parents in dealing with them. They'll eventually come to understand why this little baby needed more attention at this particular time, hopefully. We can't blame a three-year-old for thinking like that, but a grown-up Christian should know better. And this elder son should have known better. He should have understood why it was so important to celebrate the brother's return that night. But instead, because of his pride, he was blinded to it. If on the other hand, you are humble and you realize that it's not about you anyway, then when someone else gets special treatment or receives a little extra attention, you're happy for them. You can rejoice that God is meeting their needs. You can see it as a reminder that God takes care of all his children like that. You see, the son had a choice. He could have seen what his dad was doing and said, I am so thankful I have that kind of a dad. But that's not how he chose to view it. Instead, he chose to view it as, I deserve that party, not him. It should have been a reminder to him of the love of the father. And that's how we should see it when other people receive special attention or celebration when they come back to the Lord or when they're saved, it ought to remind us that we all serve a loving Heavenly Father. We can rejoice that God is meeting their needs because one day we might be on the receiving end of needing that extra care and attention. And when we're on the receiving end, we'll be thankful that others helped make it happen instead of being jealous. And then finally, the last sin we'll mention here is he was bitter. 
His pride was revealed in a bitter and unforgiving spirit. And a very strong indication of this is given in what he said to the father. Notice he, he referred to the prodigal as thy son. Did you catch that? When this thy son. He didn't say my brother. Why? He didn't even want to associate with him. The whole tone of this speech, in fact, was one of holding a grudge. There's no hint of forgiveness in the brother's words. He was expressing bitterness and unforgiveness. Someone said that being bitter and having a bitter spirit is like drinking poison and hoping the other person gets sick. It's so true. When we hold a grudge and we refuse to forgive, the person we hurt the most is ourselves. That's why Hebrews 12 says, Looking diligently, lest any of you fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. I want you to notice here the contrast between the forgiving spirit of the father and the unforgiving spirit of the brother. Who had the prodigal hurt more, the father or the older son? Testing. All right. Let's try again. Who did he hurt more? The father or the older son? The father. All right. We would say obviously the father. Now, the elder son was affected by the younger son's decision. We're not discounting that. But in terms of who had to bear the brunt of the pain, it was the father who was hurt more. Yet when the, el when the prodigal son came back, the father ran to meet him. The older son wouldn't even run down to the house. The father fell on his neck and kissed him and rejoiced. The brother refused to even see him. The father had uh, uh, called for a celebration. The brother got angry. The brother pouted. And it wasn't because he had suffered more than the father. The father had suffered more than the brother. Yet the father forgave while the brother held a grudge. You know, people sometimes excuse their bitterness by saying, well, you just don't know what they did to me. You just don't know how bad they hurt me. You just don't understand what they did. I may not, but can I tell you that doesn't excuse an unforgiving spirit. Because no one has ever hurt you more than you hurt God. And God forgave you. Therefore, you should forgive others. That's Ephesians 4.32. Be a kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And in verse 32, the father says these final words to the son. It was meet that we should make merry. It was right. It was suitable. This was what we ought to do. Be merry, make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead. And is alive again. He was dead to us. But now he's back home. He's alive again. He was lost. Now he's found. And so we ought to celebrate. We ought not be so self-absorbed that we can't rejoice when a sinner is saved and when the lost are found. It's a time for celebration, not pouting. It's a time to rejoice. Now as we close, I want to just... 
take a moment to contrast the actions of the elder son in this parable with the perfect big brother, the perfect elder son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Romans 8, 29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. And so Jesus gives us the perfect picture of the elder son and how they should act when the lost are found. Jesus does not get angry when a lost person is found. He's gracious. He does not react in arrogance, but he's humble. He's not stubborn. He's submissive. He's not jealous. He's content. He's not bitter, but praise God, he's forgiving. You think about all that Jesus has done for us in saving us. He's the perfect example. And in the course of our life, we will see many prodigals come home to the Father. And when we are blessed to be close to that, we must respond like Jesus and rejoice when a sinner comes home. If you're not there, turn back to Luke 15 and look with me at verse number 10. Luke 15, 10. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Have you ever noticed that that verse, this verse, doesn't say that the angels rejoice? That's not what this verse says. This verse says there's joy in the presence of the angels. Well, who's in the presence of the angels? God. The angels are in His presence. What this verse is saying, not it's not saying here that the angels rejoice, which they do. But what this verse is saying is that God Himself rejoices when the lost are found. When a, when a soul is saved from their sin because they finally admitted they needed a Savior and they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and God saved them, God in heaven rejoices. And when a backslidden Christian finally repents and they get right with God and that relationship is restored. That fellowship is back like it should be. God in heaven rejoices. Don't be like the elder son. Honor the father by rejoicing with him when a sinner comes home. With heads bowed and eyes closed. Oh, it's such a thrill when the Lord blesses us to see a soul saved. Such a joy to be close, to be nearby when a Christian who's been away from the Lord finally repents and comes home and gets right with the Lord. Oh, it ought to thrill our hearts. Can I say to you this morning that if you can look on those seams and it doesn't thrill you, you don't, you don't get any happiness, instead you're cynical and apathetic, there is a problem in your heart that you need to get right today. And at its core, it's a problem, a sin of pride. 
this morning. Do you see yourself in the elder son? Have you been guilty of anger and bitterness and arrogance and jealousy and all these things that we've talked about? Instead of rejoicing at what God is doing for others, If so, then you need to get it right with God today. 